Hello and welcome to Aisha Presents, hosted by me, Aisha Nabi, a show in which we slow things down, take a pause to listen and learn from people with diverse experiences. Our aim is to help you be better informed and feel inspired. This is an inclusive podcast designed to educate, inform and entertain you at a time of your own choosing and in the comfort of your own surroundings. In this episode, I'll be chatting to Swell, who was an advocate model, a term describing a new generation of models using their public image to challenge stereotypes and advocate for a personal cause. Her lack of hair describes from Chikatilomania, one of the body-focused repetitive behaviours, BFRB, still widely stigmatised in the world. As an activist, she has founded her support network in Italy, where she comes from, together with a psychotherapist to help with normalising BFRBs. Now based in London, Swal is raising awareness for mental health and for bald women through journey of acceptance. Her condition has empowered her with natural confidence in front of the camera, leading to opportunities amongst which modelling for Primark, Zandra Rhodes, Hunger Magazine and starring in Trash Boat's music video. Her work as to including diversity and representation as a model and through her social media platforms. This episode touches on emotive and personal issues which some listeners may find distressing and triggering. If you or anyone you know are affected by any of the issues raised, please click on the link in the episode's description for further advice and support. It's good to talk. This series is sponsored by Arima CBD Oils, which many people have found helpful in alleviating the symptoms of physical pain and anxiety. Arima have an extensive range of CBD oils in varying strengths, Their researchers have extracted pure hemp oil from organically grown cannabis plants without using harmful chemicals. All of their products are manufactured and tested in the UK in a strict and methodical environment, making Arima CBD amongst the purest on the market. Visit www.arima.co.uk to make your purchase. If you use my code AISHA10, you will receive 10% off on all your orders. I'm joined now with Swell. Hello, Swell. Thank you so much for coming in the studio today. How are you? Um, great. Thank you so much for asking. How are you? I'm good. I'm very good. Thank you. I know you've come down from London especially, so thank you so much. Yeah, but I saw the sea. I saw you. That's perfect, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> especially today, the weather is absolutely glorious. So obviously you go under this persona called Swell and that's part of your brand. Tell me a bit about that. Like, how did that come about and what inspired you to come under that name? Um, so, yes, it was a bit of a rebranding, really, um, from my previous life in Italy and the life I chose for myself, um, especially when I came to London. And this name comes from a makeup that I used to do on myself every single day when going to school. And it was a swell on the side of my eye. Um, I did that with um, eyeliner. Yeah. And I first saw that kind of makeup on a video game. And that's called The Sims. I'm not sure if you're familiar oh, with Sims, it. Oh, Sims, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the classic. <laughs> yes, it's, it is a classic. Um, so I spent many years playing that video game. And then they released um, this um, part of the video game where you could actually put makeup on oh, yeah. Sims. I don't that was know my favourite part of that game, <laughs> just know, dressing right? them up. Yeah, <laughs> I just used to go to town and then I'd get bored of like 
looking after them. It was the main highlight for me was making them look a certain way. Exactly. Yeah. Um, same. <laughs> so, but yeah, I got inspired because there was this like side tattoo on the face, yeah. and I thought that was so cool. Yeah. And I was about like fourteen or fifteen when I started doing it myself. Um. So yeah, that swell really accompanied me for um a really troubled part of my life, which was teenagehood um and it gave me kind of um I don't know um a way of seeing myself differently and feeling better about myself and it changed the perspective I had of the mirror yeah um and looking myself in the mirror so that so reclaiming really, that confidence I guess as well yeah it was like a focus point mm-hmm. that I was proud of and so swell um that's the name that I, I decided to to get for myself um, moving on. And it represents my self-esteem, my confidence, my journey. I mean, it is a su- it's such a catchy name. And the brand, obviously, you go by that on Instagram as well. And I think that's how, because I, I met you at the Female Narratives event at W Hotel in Soho. And I remember seeing your makeup there and it was just incredible. You look so beautiful, but you're really good at eye makeup. I mean, today <laughs> you've got the kind of minimalistic dots underneath. But when I saw you that time, I was just like, wow, who is this girl? She's so cool, like so different and out there. And I just loved it. So obviously you still carry that through to you, through even now, don't you? With yeah, your style. absolutely. Um, makeup is a big part of exploring yeah. myself and uh of feeling um feeling beautiful every day and it's not because I don't feel beautiful without makeup I I feel great (laughs) right now um but um it's just um it's playfulness it's something that um really takes me back to childhood and being completely carefree and playing with colors so that's that's what I love about it and my eyes have been really the center of a lot of issues in my life. So because of my eyelashes and eyebrows. So I feel like I'm reclaiming them when I like, I'm reclaiming the beauty of it when I put colors on it and I just highlight them, you know? Yeah. It's what they say that don't they with makeup, makeup is a form of expression. You can have like a different look and you feel like a certain way, like you could go really bold and it gives you that kind of confidence, that kind of character that you're meant to be portraying. Like it's, it is definitely a self-expression. I can see that with you. It's so lovely to see. So for people who don't know um, what or are not aware of chikotelomania, how would you describe that? So the word itself actually describes it. It's, um, it means hair pulling obsession. Yeah literally um, the mania of pulling hair so as simple as that it is an obsession of pulling one's hair yeah and when you like what is the main cause of that like what triggered you to do that and how old were you so I was very young I was about it was in between 12 and 13 if I remember correctly a lot of years (laughs) have passed (laughs) since then but I kind of forgot um along the way but yeah it started when I was very little and what triggers it I don't know it just comes to you one day it's it's something that it has um it's something that it has in common with uh, obsessive compulsive disorders in general they just begin yeah one day and then they tend to stick with you oh no 
So it's um, that, just that. It's, it appeared absolutely from nothing. I was, I don't know if you have this game in the UK, but um, in Italy, when we were children, when there's one eyelash that falls, you pick it, like you take it in between two fingers and then you blow it away. Oh, like to, you make a wish. To make a wish. Yeah, oh, yes. Do you have that? Some people do that. Okay. I might, like, some people do that with mine. They're like, grab it off my face. And they're like, <laughs> make a wish. I'm like, that is just, don't touch my face, please. But they'll just grab. But you I'm mean like, like random people? No, no, people I'm with. Oh, okay. <laughs> if it was random people, I'd be like, get away from me. Personal no. space. Personal space. <laughs> yeah. No, because some people who I'm with, they'll just grab it off me. You know, obviously, it takes me off guard i'm like oh what are you doing don't come near me but then they'll just take it off and like oh make a wish i don't know where that comes from i don't know it's just uh, people love making wishes i guess um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i did that and then i was looking for more yeah um and that kind of uh, movement then just repeated itself yeah the day after and the day after that etc and it never went away so I started like actually pulling my eyelashes gosh from like just wanting to make a wish to not being able to stop anymore so did it start off with your eyelashes and your eyebrows first before it got to your hair yeah funny story (laughs) so when my parents found out that I was doing that they took me to like this psychiatrist that was like the professor you know um the main guy and he was this old man he was so scary i remember i was so little it was so scary just looked at me and then he said so what are you pulling and i was like "Um, my eyelashes and my eyebrows and he he laughed and said oh i'm so relieved that you didn't start with hair i mean from a medical standpoint that's very unprofessional that he laughed like that like because everything it's... starts from somewhere and it's a cause con- cause of concern no matter where but he laughed like I mean that must have made you feel a bit like you were uh, isolated with this or actually it made me realize I could pull hair too you could be kind of <laughs> on <tested>. my head <laughs> it's like he gave me a new perspective of life <laughs> I was like oh my god you can actually pull hair as well oh no and so he's kind of like he started it basically oh no yeah so, well done, Professor. That was really great of you. <laughs> Thank you so much. I mean, probably it would have gone there anyway, but who knows? But when you say it's kind of similar to OCD, because when you first described it to me, I obviously had never heard of it. I know of alopecia and I know how that can be kind of stress related or just simply by bad luck or by an autoimmune response. With trichotillomania, and you mentioned OCD. I know that OCDs are also on a spectrum. Like some people have it really bad. Like I know my brother has it. Sometimes he like flicks the switch, light switch on off like quite a few times to make sure. And then obviously then you, there's a other aspect of it with stress. I know when I get stressed, I pick my lip. When I'm anxious, I really pick my lip. And that's something my therapist notices I do. And it's something my dad notices I do. Every time I do it, he's like, what are you stressed about? He knows I'm anxious or stressed. Would you say it's, it is kind of subconsciously trauma, like if, if it's trauma related to trauma, or would you say it's kind of stress induced or just simply something completely different from that? It's all of the above. Mm. Um, we actually don't know where it comes from. It's a response that our brain has to stress, but also to like 
um, train of thoughts. So, you know, when your mind is very busy, you go, you go into a sort of a trance, yeah. right? Like you're, you're here, but you're not actually here because you're like in your thoughts. And the brain, I, I don't know why, the brain in that moment requires, it requires your body to do, th- to do something. Yeah. And that's a lot of, um, and that's the obsession, the, the compulsion of it. And yeah. it just, it takes away a bit of the stress that is created in your brain. So we don't know, researchers don't know where it comes from. Um, they say it's probably genetic. So mm. if you look at the people in like, around you, in your family, probably someone will have a, an OCD or a, a BFOV. Um, my brother had it for example, um, trichotillomania, the same, but he stopped. So um, what happened to him? Like, how did his start and progress? And- he just started one day. Um, he had a big patch on his head after a while, and then he went away. Like, he stopped. And without- did the hair grow back? Or- yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Did, okay, yeah. so obviously he wasn't persistent with it. Yeah, he wasn't persistent. It was just like a phase, yeah. basically. But uh, for many people, it isn't a phase. It's like a lifetime commitment. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but you you don't know where it comes from. And it can be uh, from a trauma. It can be from stress and anxiety. But I've heard of cases that are in babies. Like oh, wow. Newborns. It, really? As yeah. young as that? As young as that. So the parents, of course, they they get very worried and they ask in the community and most like they, most people say don't worry when it's like this little such a baby yeah. it will go away on its own um but it could represent itself way later in life yeah. when the stress rebuilds you know like for example you're a teenager or you're studying you're reading a lot of things etc your mind goes um 100 miles per hour and yeah. boom all of a sudden it gets put on the forefront doesn't it yeah it almost comes out when you least expect it when you're in high pressure envi- environments like studying if you've got a lot of pressure on it can yeah. just come out um if like if i can give you an example which is super easy um to f- to focus on when people study or read for example or they're very focused they tend to do something with their hands um, most of the times, um, for example, you can take a lock of your hair and just like oh, uh, sway yeah. around your finger or uh, men do that with their beard or their eyebrows. Yeah. Um, uh, some people scratch themselves. Some so people, interesting like, you say that because these are all things that a lot of people do, but they don't class it as something under that umbrella or scope as BFRB. They don't class it as that. They just do it subconsciously. For them, it's more nerves or fidgeting or um just when you're stressed or just like you just don't think about it I mean sometimes I do that I just play with my nails or like pick the skin on the sides of it and it's just so subconscious you don't think about it at all exactly and that's why it is basically impossible to have a real statistics here because everyone does it in a certain way but not in an extreme way so they they're only trying to classify the extreme of it but you don't know what's extreme like when do you classify extreme when it hinders the ability of living your life at that point maybe um but yeah basically everybody does it everybody has one or at least has experienced one Mm -hmm. um in their lifetime um if not on themselves they've seen it through um, other people through other people so yes it's extremely common 
Wow. Because, like, obviously the term trichotillomania is something that it was new to me until speaking to you. And now that you described, obviously, how it is very much so on a spectrum, how many people are affected by this? Because there isn't really much research in it. Only people like yourselves who advocate and you talk about it so openly. How many, do you know, like, how many people it affects? Or is that just, like, a number that's just very open? We don't know. We don't know. Um, there is uh, the, the main foundation in um, in America, they've... They've done some research and a few years ago came up with a number, which is one um, in 50 people yeah. have it, um, trichotillomania or BFRB. But again, <laughs> you can't count yeah. the many people that, A, it doesn't get diagnosed. Yeah. Um, B, people don't want to talk about it. So, um, for example, I lied to so many psychologists and therapists like are you doing this yourself and I was like nope (laughs) (laughs) no it's not me it's the fairy (laughs) so um and it's really scary because you're you're young and it's a it's a stigmatized topic so Mm. you don't want to talk about it you feel like you're doing something wrong so whenever you're you get asked (laughs) you're like denying denying (laughs) especially yeah because you mentioned you were young I'm kind of it kind of leads to my next point actually I was going to ask you when did you first start noticing something wasn't quite right I know you mentioned you were what was it 11 or 13 12 or 13 12 or 13 when you started I mean that's a very like pivotal age moment when your your hormones are setting in like everything's very scary you're becoming a woman that can be quite isolating at times anyway and then you've got this when was when did you first start noticing personally that something wasn't quite right like you noticed actually do you know what this isn't normal like this isn't okay or I'm not I'm feeling quite vulnerable like when was that pivotal moment for you so it's funny you ask it like that because until my parents um noticed that I was doing that I felt absolutely normal yeah so for me it was something normal yeah and then some other people told me it wasn't yeah i <laughs> use know? the term normal really loosely because <laughs> nothing is normal these days but you know what i mean like oh, yeah i mean um yeah i didn't i didn't know i was doing anything wrong yeah. really um to me i was just living my life pulling my hair and i was quite content with it it was quite stress relieving so. like a comfort to you yeah it was a comfort i was was a very um, emotional child um i felt a lot um i didn't know i had adhd now i do as an adult so that probably played a part yeah um again that's really <laughs> that doesn't get diagnosed enough and um education especially in italy but all over the world is definitely not meant for people with the ADHD. So your stress <laughs> yeah. level is like... Rocketing. Rocketing, <laughs> yes. I feel like ADHD, <laughs> like just coming away from trichotillomania, just for a brief moment, because there is a lot of talk about ADHD and people getting diagnosed with it. I know so many people now saying they have it. It's another thing that's like, again, on a spectrum, isn't it? Like women obviously get very overwhelmed. And then with men, I've heard that they get quite hyperactive with things. It's like... And these new terms and these new things that are popping out and the more we learn about it, the more we educate ourselves about it, then we can understand it better. But from what I've researched about ADHD, again, it's on like a spectrum as well. So how have you found that and navigating that yourself when you've, when you've got a diagnosis of that? It's, um, it's relieving to know that what you've gone through yeah. was actually because society wasn't made for you. 
and that you had to navigate, you had to discover ways of doing things normally, but that normality wasn't the normality made for you. Yeah. Um, And this is with any disability, really. Mm. Um, So neurodivergent people were the ones that didn't make education. Yeah. So um, it was like... (laughs) There should be another another way of teaching. There should be another way of learning. Yeah. It can't be that everyone learns the same way. Yeah. Um, I remember things different differently from other people and um I can you show me something, I'll remember it. Yeah, that's exactly it. I've I'm like the same. If someone shows me something, I can remember thing, like doing they do that kind of memory tests, like what's in the box. I can name it all. But that I think that's again comes to how you learn things and how you your cognitive process and how you learn things in school because there are different ways of learning some people learn by rote some people learn by practicing like what they've been taught and applying those um tips and tricks that they've been taught some people learn by memory I mean it is definitely true like you you've got a good point there like people learn differently so because you get grade a grade on top of what you do like um I do I do this and I should do it as as well as everybody else. Yeah. And I should do it the same as everyone else. Yeah. You know, they want that. They want a uniform. Um, a consistency. A consistency, exactly, uh, in students. And I'm like, but we're all different. <laughs> <laughs> so how is that going to go? Um, and it doesn't. It doesn't. And that's why I was so stressed. And um, they didn't see that I was actually depressed. So I got depressed at nine. And I only understood that way later in yeah. life, like when I was 20. Um, and that everything everything came out through a BFRB yeah um it came through it and that really really saved my life so obviously bfrb as we mentioned in the intro is body focused repetitive behaviors just i know we keep mentioning it bfrb and i know some people (laughs) i didn't mention it yeah some people um because obviously i never heard of it before you mentioned it so just so we know bfrb stands for body focused repetitive behaviors so it's under the umbrella of trichotillomania Yes, um, it's a it's under the umbrella of OCDs, and it's every behavior that's focused on your body. So we were saying yeah. before, um, biting your lip, yeah, um, or biting your nails, um, or biting your cheeks, the inside of your cheeks. Oh yes, yeah, uh, skin picking, etc., and also eating. What's oh. the waste of this? So eating hair, eating skin, eating. Um, the inside of your cheek um or um yeah you know when you like you bite bite your nails you bite your nails sometimes you eat the nail or you need the you eat the skin around it 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 sounds gross when you say it like that but a lot of people do it and you do it like really unconsciously you're just like i feel lucky because i don't bite my nails but when i am stressed i do bite and probably Eat this. This is gross. Eat the skin <laughs> of my lip. Yes. My, every, now that we're sharing, <laughs> let's all share today. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but yeah, it's so. It's you don't ever think about it because I know some people bite yeah. their. They do bite, don't they? And they're really like self, like you know, it's not really in their conscious at all. They're just doing it. Yeah. Um. It kind of leads into the next thing. Probably we have probably t- touched on it very briefly, but. Um, trichotomalia being a form of anxiety or OCD or even both, does it kind of overlap in ways, in your opinion, or is it something completely different? 
to anxiety and OCD? Uh, no, it isn't. It is definitely related to it. It is an OCD and it is a form of um, stress relieving yeah. mechanism. So it is connected to anxiety, to stress, to um, yeah, it's an obsession basically. Yeah. And it's really, really hard to get rid of it. Yeah. Like how is trichotillomania different to alopecia? Because you must get some people in the public being like, oh, if you've got alopecia, like you've probably had people come up to you and be like, oh, they they assume, don't they? Well, in the UK they do, yes. Yeah. Um, they're starting now in Italy as well, but before everyone assumed I had cancer um, because they weren't aware of alopecia. Yeah. So it, the, the level of awareness of alopecia has been raised <laughs> in the last I mean, 10 to 15 like? years. If you were in Italy and people were thinking you had cancer then I was 13 <laughs> I was like um what's it like for people with cancer and that's my question yeah because um I I didn't have it so it it felt weird yeah. in a certain way but at least I was kind of healthy you know must feel horrible for people that yeah. actually have it and get looked like that because people look at you obviously people always turn that you get the looks and I'm guessing when you were younger you had that that must have been yeah. really hard yeah it was it felt it felt really um I don't know it felt really strange to see people feel pain looking at me or feel sorry um and some people would come to me and say I will pray for you and you know stuff like that oh gosh what would what was your response to when people say things like that well, thank you never get enough prayers <laughs> <laughs> thank you for your prayers thank you for your prayers keep the keep them coming thanks <laughs> <laughs> i always wonder with that because obviously with people with cancer like it is horrible because like obviously they're trying to make the most of life and then i guess because obviously i i can't even say because I, I don't haven't even been in that situation but it must be tough for you as well, getting the looks and everything. And being young, like a young girl, going into puberty, having your hormones and everything and then having that, it must have been really difficult, especially in Italy where you said it wasn't really spoken about, people didn't really know about it. So it was kind of like they just assume it was that or nothing. Yeah, correct. Yes, they assumed I was ill and they sometimes they wanted to comfort me for it. Oh gosh. What did your parents say to that? Um nothing really. They were um they were not allowed to speak about it. Is it kind of like a cultural thing? Because I know some um, certain cultures just like don't talk about it. Yeah, just brush it, it under is, the carpet. It is kind of a cultural thing. Um it is a taboo, but also because uh, unfortunately they reacted in the wrong way wasn't their fault yeah. um it was because they didn't know what what was happening but they reacted the wrong way the first day that they discovered i had it and they were very shocked yeah. and they were disgusted and shocked and they were like very scared of what was happening so they took me to the doctors and i linked as a chi as a child i linked me pulling my hair to i'm a monster oh you know i'm doing this to myself yeah so then it becomes a vicious cycle because when that when you feel like that then you start pulling your hair out even more because you're more stressed you're more anxious and it's like correct yes. then they will tell you off even more and then you do it again it's kind of like a no way out system that was the end of it for me it was literally I linked that to a bad thing in my life and because I was perpetrate, perpetrating the bad thing 
yeah on myself i was like okay um this is a vicious cycle and i'm the monster but i can't stop so i don't know what to do and so every time my parents tried to help me or uh, talk talk about it with me i would just start crying and lock myself in my room yeah so it was impossible for them to understand what was going on well i'm sorry to hear you went through that obviously now like it's very impressive that you're advocating it and you're talking about it it's very brave of you and I mean you look absolutely beautiful thank you and I love your makeup and your style like you look amazing today I wish it was filmed so you can actually see what Swell was wearing today it's amazing um going on to like obviously when they were telling you oh you're a monster or this and that and because you do model did you ever go down the route of wearing wigs or is that something you decided to steer away from or have you considered or tried out wearing wigs and how did that feel for you um, yes, I went, I went through the phase of wigs. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more about um, this. <laughs> what kind of wigs are we talking like? What colour? What style? Um, because I went through that phase quite late. It was very eccentric. Um, <laughs> we're talking about uh, owning 50, 60 different hairstyles. Wow. Um, and going out every day with a different one. Like I wouldn't wear the, sing- the, the same wig ever every day so how long ago was this sorry when you was wearing, um, when you were wearing wigs not too long ago actually before covid oh okay yeah before covid yes then during covid i got really comfortable wearing zero makeup and zero wigs and you know i was like i'm not sure i want to go back to all of that <laughs> <laughs> what's been the most like eccentric wig you've had oh my god and what color like just yeah oh, share that with our it's, listeners it's um it's you should you should see my Instagram before boldness, <laughs> but it was literally I had this bright Barbie pink wig that was curly and it was down to my back. Oh wow! But it was so like the volume on it was literally it was just hair, like candy floss. I pink. was like a tree. <laughs> <laughs> was it like candy a candy? Floss. Yeah, was it like candy um, floss pink or like more a- like fuchsia? Oh, wow. So really yes. bright. Yeah, really, really bright. Uh, and I had the same style in yellow. Oh, so, wow. um, yeah. And then I had like a colorful one and a green one. And it was, I, I really explored that part of some, life. Some people, when they wear wigs, they have like a different, like, ego, like, oh, an alter, alter ego. Oh, my God. Yeah, you channel, you channel what different was your, characters. What was, your, what was your, like, inner alter ego for your different wigs? I just felt, um, I just felt so empowered. I don't know why. It just, I just, it just felt different. I felt like I was another, another character. I was, a character in a, <laughs> yes definitely sassy but also a character in a movie it wasn't oh, like nice. actually me it was yeah. it was someone else and um I, I'm glad I did that when I was more of an adult because mm. I could understand the difference between putting on a wig and dressing up and yeah. going out and being being that yeah. for that day or that night rather than that persona becoming you and taking over and then destroying your life yeah. because you it's don't a temporary understand. alter yeah. ego for the night it's you putting heels on it's yeah. you uh wearing a tie or you know like it's it's that piece of jewelry that yeah. you, it's particularly um big and, and <laughs> you know everyone looks at it and you're like oh i like that for that day but yeah. it doesn't it's not me it's 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 not everything i am yeah you know? 
I get that because I guess it's the same for modeling because I, when I do photo shoots and I'm in a certain outfit or whatever I feel like oh I'm, I'm this character today I feel like this sort of persona and it gives you that kind of like alter ego not Aisha like someone completely different um behind the lens or well in front of the lens but is that the same with you when you do modeling as well does it give you like like a certain different persona when you get in different outfits because I've seen your modeling shoots and you look absolutely incredible <laughs> so amazing I'm like I've seen the recent ones and they're so gorgeous but do you get that as well when you model and stuff like you get like a different side to you that comes out yeah I definitely take um some characters out and I like to play characters in front of the lens because some clothes and some makeup I think um require some acting yeah you know like it's it just completes the look mm-hmm. and that's that's just you know you want to you want to give something to the person that looks at the image but that's photography in general yeah. you know it's a form of art really isn't it so it's conveying that in yeah, a way exactly so does trichotillomania ever go away and can you treat it so it can be a phase it can be a phase like my brother had and it can come once in your life and then go away on its on its own but it's <sighs> It, it's not treatable, unfortunately. Yeah. It's something that you have to uh, live with. And for most people, it's just living with damage control. Mm-hmm. You know, you learn how to manage things. For me, it was like the the treatment that I found that worked for me was uh, C- uh, CBT therapy. So classic therapy they're giving out today Yeah, for five years so that that was a long time and then um just shading now that, that for me worked so taking away the triggering part mm-hmm. um really helped me reduce the amount of times i spent just pulling yeah. i still have my bad days but it doesn't hinder the ability of living my life normally it's kind of managing it and taking control of it obviously everyone will have triggers if you suffer from any mental disorder but it's like you said it's you're reclaiming your power back and you're learning to manage it in a healthy way i keep the symptom at bay yeah and i know that sometimes i will have bad days Mm -hmm. and i don't judge myself for it because everyone has a bad day yeah um, (laughs) and they do something they maybe shouldn't do so it could be like drinking too much or smoking too much or, um, I don't know, um, you know. I mean, we're all human at the end of the day. Are, no one's perfect. all human <laughs> at the end. But yeah, no one's perfect. But we, I don't know why have this com- concept that we have to be perfect. Yeah. You know, even though we know we don't have to be, we just want to be perfect. Yeah. And that's heavy. That's <laughs> heavy. That's <laughs> heavy pressure to put on yourself, isn't it? It is. <laughs> Going back to modelling, did you develop this condition? Obviously, I know we we talked about how you developed it, but was it before or after you started modelling? I know you probably started modelling way later in your career. And how did that um, impact or affect your confidence or hinder your career in any way? Because I know there's a lot of pressure in society these days to look a certain way in the industry and even now on social media. How did you navigate all of that? That's um, a three parts question. Yeah, that's quite. A, it's quite a heavy one. There. Okay. <laughs> well, again, I um, I developed trick when I was twelve, yeah. so that was quite early in my life, and since then I always felt like I was 
the monster. Mm-hmm. Like I saw myself as a monster and I feel like mirrors were like my prison, you know? Did you avoid them? No. I actually you I was obsessed. Ser- yeah, I was obsessed. Oh, wow, I was okay. searching for a mirror. I was looking at myself at like every mirroring surface. I was trying to look for an imperfection yeah. because that was that's the point of BFRBs. There is an imperfection of your body and mm. you want to get rid of it. Yeah. So for example, for trick is textured hair. So there's different textures in your hair, mm-hmm. right? So they have yeah, they have a texture, they have kind of a different feeling yeah uh in between your fingers and the the ones that are bigger and thicker are the ones that usually you want to pull yeah for skin picking is when you have a skin imperfection so there's a hatch up underneath your skin or you have a pimple so usually people develop skin picking during their teenagehood yeah because they pick the spots don't they have you ever experienced having a spot on your on your face and you just yeah, like want to pop it stare at it in the mirror and you're like i have to pop this i can't <laughs> and then you just like you try so hard and then at the end of the day it just looks even worse it just looks like and you pop it and in the end you do it and you yeah. know it's bad but you still have to it's like you know you feel it in your gut you have to do it yeah um and then you do it and once you've done that you start looking for the things around if there is anything else to pop or to take out and that's that kind of obsession that i'm talking about Mm. it's in your brain it's in your mind it's there so it's lingering but anyway (laughs) (laughs) um that was just to describe the feeling uh but i decided to model very late in life um after five years of therapy um that uh, really really helped finding my self-esteem yeah which was the thing that i was lacking completely and photography really helped me build the next step which was my confidence because when you when you are in front of a stranger and their lens and you're taking pictures that will be a memory of you yeah you can't look away it's there it's permanent it's permanent yeah so it's really tough for a person that has spent 15 years trying to hide herself from the world all of a sudden revealing who she is in that moment of her life yeah you know so i guess that gives you that kind of like confidence you were looking for this whole time and that kind of like powerful feeling again yes it was it was scary Mm. extremely scary and it felt very it felt hideous at the beginning i was like what am i doing (laughs) why am i posing in front of this and who are you taking pictures um but yeah and then i just i did it again and again and i looked at the first picture oh my god tell me (laughs) i took oh horrible oh my god describe describe them i don't know i (laughs) It really felt like another person. I was really trying to reach for someone that I wasn't, you know. I was yeah. trying to prove to myself that I could be that person. Right. But it's so visible in a picture. You know, when you see people literally, like, superposing in picture, and you're like, mate, just chill. <laughs> <laughs> like, you don't have to go that far yeah. um, to look pretty. But, yeah, so it's um, it was like that. Oh, gosh. Well, you've obviously grown and you've become, you've, do you do modeling for Primark? You've done stuff. Yeah, no, I mean, I've definitely grown and there's still 
like room to grow yeah um, I explore myself in different ways every time I work but the first pictures were like <laughs> was really 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 laughable and one thing that I did was also that the, I start with nude portraits oh you started with that straight yes, away that was, so you went down the deep end then yes I was like <laughs> if I do because I'm like this if I do something <laughs> I have to do it as shock te- therapy you know like yeah. as a shock so it was like it's either like this it's either full on or, <laughs> or nothing at all and so I won that road going back so because you know you said oh, it was very nerve-wracking did you feel the pressure though to look a certain way because obviously there is a lot of pressure in the modeling industry it is it can be cutthroat but even with social media now there's like a certain pressure to look a certain way did you feel that when you were modeling or did you feel like you wanted to be as authentic and true to yourself Social media really helped my journey, actually. Really? Because as soon as I started posting, maybe because I was naked, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) People love that. It's like the the, the thirst trap. (laughs) Um, Yeah, exactly. But I don't know. But it was it was really helpful to to receive that many compliments at the beginning when I was so fragile and just starting out. And it just made me feel... It made me feel like I was on the right path. Yeah. So really, and another thing that social media did for me, (laughs) which was impossible before Facebook or Instagram, was connecting me with people that had the same experience. Yeah. So they had, there were other human beings with BFABs. I wasn't the only person in the world. It makes you feel less isolated and you get your own, you can be part of a community, right? So you're part of a BFRB Imagine, imagine, imagine me in Italy in the nineties. Oh gosh, that'd be tough. <laughs> it's, it's, we, we I, there was no mean, there was no way, there was no way of getting to know other people with these things. Mm. It wasn't known, so it was like living on an island and being the only, you know, person there with that thing, and it felt so lonely. It yeah. was, I was so lonely. I felt like the only child having this in the world and I wasn't and And you were so young as well which is even more scary having to deal with all that too yeah it was absolutely scary and you know really really difficult to get through but I'm alive I don't know why but (laughs) (laughs) something did it um I think I mean Chicotillomania was the bad part yeah the thing that made me think of myself as a monster but also was the good part because it kept me alive through depression it was stress and anxiety relieving so it was in a way I hated it and in another way I protected it it was a vicious cycle it's like a love-hate thing it's actually kind of grown you as a person I guess it's made you stronger and made you who you are today yeah which is powerful in itself just saying it I don't know if I would have survived depression and anxiety without having a trigger a uh, trigger in OCD like mm-hmm. that really put the focus on something else uh, yeah. for a while and then I got to um I got to my 20s and then I could actually explore my um my subconscious in therapy and talk about things with a more of an adult mind yeah um that would understand better yeah. things and so yeah that really they really helped me in a way. Guess it puts it everything in perspective as well as you got older, seeing it all. Definitely. 
So most societal and cultural norms will constantly value hair as the main form of a woman's beauty. I know in my culture it is, it's very annoying. Uh, but they also they kind, of, kind of consider it as like the main form of a, beauty's, a woman's beauty, expression, even self-worth, which in, in a way adds even more pressure to sustain those unhealthy, stereotypical, and I'm going to quote this in quotations, female beauty standards. How have you managed to navigate that and your, add your own stamp to those pressures from society? Because there are people who are like, oh, your hair is what makes you you. And, you know, it's adding to that pressure, isn't it? Well, hair is a very important part of our body. And yes, uh, a lot of people rely on their hair on for, for, you know, they rely on their hair to feel beautiful. And that's very scary to me because I'm like, what if you wake up tomorrow and it's gone? Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, and it can happen and it's scary, but it's not the end of the world, guys. It's not like <laughs> it's literally just hair. So it's true that we rely on it a lot, but it's literally just hair. And we have a thing for wanting to get rid of our armpits hair or yeah. chest hair or back hair or pubic hair or our legs, etc. And then, but you rely everything else on your head. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, we are very funny creatures, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> uh, but yeah. When our- you put it like that, it is so crazy, isn't it, though? Like, when sometimes how men perceive women like they want women to be completely bare from like the neck down but then have like a full flowing head of hair yeah but no moustache yeah but no moustache <laughs> so basically like from the from the eyebrows down well from the eyes down like completely sw- you know smooth like a dolphin yeah. but then like have like this lovely mound of hair like that's that men's kind of expectations on women but also women now have their expectations for themselves yeah. you know so it's a uh, it's now in our culture it's well so to say oh my god look at my leg hair it's disgusting and then oh my god look at my lashes they're so short I should have them longer and I'm like (laughs) guys get a grip (laughs) but yeah um I remember um when I was in school uh, in high school my professor and the Italian one so she was giving a lecture about uh, women in literature and the hair in general just her as a as a main woman a form of women's beauty exactly and she said something like um you know that hair for women symbolizes um beauty and sensuality and i swear that day i felt in that particular moment when she said that like a black hole had exploded in my stomach and Mm -hmm. it was sucking the life out of me and i said i'm never gonna be able to be beloved and feel beautiful yeah i'll never be able to feel sensual and that's how i felt in that moment you know how long did you feel like that and when did you reclaim that back when you started to feel like sexy when you started to feel beautiful again because obviously when you're a kid and you've got teachers like that saying hair is the form of women's beauty like it's the power to a woman's look and everything Obviously, you're going to be feeling like that for a while, aren't you? Well, I tried every possible way during my teenagehood of faking having hair. Um, so extensions, makeup, um, wigs, etc. So I spent money and I locked myself in my room every time I couldn't get to that perfection that I wanted yeah. to fake 
having hair. Yeah. So it's it was very consuming. Um, I was I feel like I was in search of this normality, mm-hmm. which wasn't my normality though. <laughs> I was like it was like being a bird, <laughs> um, but in a human society, yeah. you know. And only later in life I really understood the value of having wings. Yeah, you know. Mm. I'm a bird. I should live with the birds. And you're going to soar <laughs> and fly high. <laughs> I'm like a bird. Exactly. <laughs> Basically. Um, yes. So that's, it's, for me, it's not a symbol. It's what people tell you that really uh, pressure you into yeah. that standard. But once you understand that there's no standard, mm-hmm. there is uniqueness to yeah. everyone, every single person, I can look at the people in the room and tell you, without even meeting them, beautiful things about them. Because I know that my standards are different from everyone else. Yeah. And I can look at someone, maybe because I had what I had, and tell something beautiful about them. Yeah. Because everyone is beautiful. Yeah. I know it's I know it's like nowadays like <laughs> oh, everyone is beautiful <laughs> and we are all perfect. Um but no, it's true. Like everyone has something. Everyone has a unique quality to give. And it's just you working on yourself mm-hmm. to really accentuate that in your life. Mm-hmm. Bring it forward. It's what makes you it's what makes you it's what makes you special and what really empowers you yeah. with superpowers. This is like and I'm pointing to my head right now. This is my superpower. Yeah. <laughs> You know, um, a lot of people just like stop me in the street and just say, oh, my God, you look stunning. Because you do. You are <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's, that's just because I decided I was stunning, yeah. you know, because mm. before they were stopping me and saying like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Do you have cancer? <laughs> you know, yeah. what's the difference between then and now? It's the, what you're emitting, what you're working on, I guess, like exactly very profound that's a very profound thing. Thank you, Swell, for that. Well, but won't. I'm very gutted and very annoyed that your teacher in Italy said that to you because it's so damaging. Because when you're younger, your mind is like a sponge anyway and you grow up believing adults and teachers like they, they say no wrong. They are these figures that are always right. When you're a kid, you do think adults are like, you know, they're on the straight, narrow path. They know what's good. They know what's right. But the teacher to say that and knowing they've got a student yourself in the room who is suffering from something, that must have been so, like, careless of her to say that. She was just talking about women and literature. Yeah. Though. She wasn't, like, thinking about the students. She was just saying something about history and literature. So I feel like I can't really... You know, but now her. but now what you're doing now with your your advert you're advocating and your ab- activist you're changing history now and you're redefining absolutely and that's women's that's standards. our job right now nowadays to change what came before us mm-hmm. and try and do something better for the world so it kind of leads into my last and final question actually i'm going to segue that in um <laughs> how have you redefined beauty standards because obviously the last thing you mentioned was very profound so in the, as a last finishing note, how have you redefined female beauty standards in your journey so far? That's a very, that's a very beautiful question. How have I, 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 I never thought about it like that, to be honest. I never, 
I never thought like I am redefining beauty standards. I'm just trying to be a bird. <laughs> <laughs> I love that symbolism though. <laughs> I'm really here for it. <laughs> and then I I just found other birds um, and we're all birding away. I don't know. It was like, it's, I'm, I don't, I'm not sure I'm redefining. I just, I, I want the world to be proud of its diversity. Yeah. I'm not redefining standards. The, the standards are fake, guys. They're not actually there. Someone yeah. created them, printed them on a magazine and told you that those are the things you should want in life. But when you look at yourself in the mirror or you wake up in the morning, you're not like that. That's not a standard. That's a concept that lives in in the midst of other things in your brain and it swims around. But that's not you. Yeah. And people get sick for these things. They actually have mental and body illnesses because of these standards. Mm. And that's so silly. Yeah. We don't we're not like that. We're literally all different and beautiful and this diversity which is what actually we are we don't have to make it we're actually diverse when we are born we just have to accept it and welcome it yeah and that's it and that's what i'm doing i accepted my diversity i welcomed it in my life and all of a sudden i am a vibrant human being but thing is you've hit the nail there with diversity, variety is the spice of life. It is. It is the spice of life. And I love that. I love to see the diverse thing in other people and bringing it forward and say, that's what makes you you. Yeah. And I love that about you. Yeah. It's no point being the same. It's good to have like a colourful diversity. Everyone's different. No point looking the same. Then we'll all look like clones, won't we? <laughs> Exactly, but I understand. Like you want to, you want to look. You, you see something pretty, yeah, and you want it for yourself, yeah, and you want to achieve that. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that you have to look exactly the same as the person that you, you make saw it with yourself. It. You make you it make your own. Yourself. Exactly. Yeah. You you get inspired by yeah. diversity, but that you get inspired by diversity, which is what we need to do. You inspire me, I inspire you, and it's a big cycle of people just pushing forward. Yeah. You know, that's beautiful. I like that. Very profound. But thank you. I think we're coming towards the end of the show now. But thank you so much as well for coming down to South End recording today. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. Thank, thank you, you for having me. Oh, you're was, so welcome. <laughs> it was amazing. Thank you for this opportunity because, you know, the world kind of needs it. So thank you for doing that. Well, no, thank you for coming down. Honestly, I really appreciate it. That's all we have time for now. Join me next time and don't forget to subscribe. Recorded and produced by the AV Club Podcast Production.